Hello and welcome back to the Press and Perspective podcast. Uh, this podcast episode is a little bit longer than the ones in the past, and so I appreciate you listening and sticking with it. And this is a message I crafted from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. I don't know where you stand with faith or stand with God, but if you have a Bible, I would love for you to grab it and turn to the New Testament to the book of Philippians chapter 4. The book of Philippians is a very rich book. It's a letter uh, written by Paul, and I love Paul's writings. Paul had a genuine relationship with God, and it is reflected in this letter. The thing that I love about the Bible is the honesty of the writers and how it is full of real people. In the Old Testament, in the Psalms, we sing songs of praise but also songs and poems of suffering. Not everything is perfect all of the time. To give you a quick refresher um, about Philippians, it's before we jump in, Paul, 10 years prior, had traveled through the area of Macedonia. In Macedonia, there is a city called Philippi. If you live in Philippi, you are a Philippian. It's a diverse colony of Greek people and Romans. So Paul, while in prison in Rome, writes this letter back to the church that he had planted years ago. But before we jump in, I would like to share with you a reportedly true story about a man named George Phillips from Mississippi, who was going to bed when his wife told him that he had left the lights on in his workshop. That didn't ring true with George, but George went, got up, went to the window, and sure enough, he saw that the lights are on. So he went outside to turn the lights off, and he saw that there were people in the workshop in the process of stealing his tools. He immediately phoned the police who asked, uh, well, George, are they in your house? No, they're in my workshop. The officer, the officer replied that all the patrol cars were busy. And that he should just simply lock his doors and uh, someone would be there when they're available. George said, okay, hung up. However, George was not content with the police response. So he counted to about 30 and then called them again and said, hello, I called a minute ago because of the burglars in my workshop. Well, you don't have to worry about them now because I have a gun and I shot them. He hung up. Within minutes, three squad cars, an armed response unit, and an ambulance showed up. And of course, the police caught the bad guys or the burglars red-handed. And one of the officers said, George, I thought you told me that you had shot them. To which George replied, I thought you told me no officers were available. You see, George wasn't content with the answer he got. And that brings me to verse 10. Verse 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You it, were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Huh. Well, this right this stood out to me, like perspective. This stood out to me that it could come off a little harsh, but a, a few things to take into account. Philippi, even though it was a big city of trade, the church, however, had great poverty. So it would take time to save up and require sacrifice to send Paul aid. Also, the messenger who was bringing Paul the aid, Epaphroditus, became greatly ill and on the way to see Paul. So it took even longer for the aid to get there. We see that in chapter 2, verse 27, when he writes, Indeed, he was ill near to death. So I think that the 
that now statement is just more of a time statement after everything. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. At this time and still today, there is a Stoic philosophy of contentment. The Stoic philosophy says, chill, don't get all worked up over things that you can't change, right? Um, those folks talked about self-sufficiency. But in contrast to them, Paul speaks of a very different kind of sufficiency. See, this perspective puts all of it on you and your strength, your ability to wrestle your hearts and your emotion and force contentment. I'm going to be content no matter what. This is not at all what Paul is saying. Contentment is not denying the reality of your hurt and pain. I'm going to say that again. Contentment is not denying the reality of your hurt and pain. God is not asking you to do that. Contentment is not liking everything that is going on in your life. I don't think Paul liked being in prison. Paul's life and ministry bear out the very things he wanted the Philippians to learn. And Paul pointed to his own experience and the things that he learned from his experience. And we even get to see some of this. He was beaten and even beaten with rods and sticks. In 2 Corinthians, another letter that Paul wrote in chapter 11, he gives us some detail to the tortures that he endured as a missionary for Jesus Christ. He says, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. 39 lashes times five, five different times, would be 195 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. Once he spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. He says, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and in the deserts and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claimed to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothes to keep me warm. That's what he tells us in 2 Corinthians as part of his life and his life experience. So let me ask you, after hearing that, would you say that you are a person of contentment in your job, your income, family life, prayer life, your relationship with God if you have one? The problem that most of us have is that we keep looking for contentment in the wrong places. You see, the enemy, the devil, and the world teaches that contentment comes from the people you know. If we could just hang out with the right people and could just be welcomed into the right social circles, then we would be content, right? Or we're led to believe that contentment comes from the position that you hold. If you could just have the right job, hold the high, a higher position, then you would be content. And then probably one of the biggest is contentment comes from possessions, the things that you have. Well, if I just had enough money, or if I got to drive the nice cars, or if I lived in an expensive house, if I had that boat, then we would be content, right? Uh, fun story from, from growing up. I always wanted a TV in my bedroom when I was a kid, and I, finally I got that, and that was really cool. But I would go over to friends' houses, and they would have two refrigerators. Growing up, we didn't have two refrigerators. 
And I thought, man, it would be so cool to have two refrigerators. Like if we had two refrigerators, then we will have arrived, right? Like my mom enjoys having parties and hosting and having people over. If she had two refrigerators, it would just help her, right? I'm only thinking about my mom. But I actually was pretty selfish because it was more of a status thing for me. But as we got older, we turned into a family that did have two refrigerators. What I experienced growing up, we all experience. We feel that we are lacking something. Whatever that is, once we get get it, we will be happy. If I just had a spouse, I would be happy. Or if God would fix my job, then I would be happy. And Paul says, no, no, you wouldn't. Your discontentment goes deeper than your circumstances. There's nothing wrong with having goals and dreams, but when it takes longer than expected to reach that goal or find out we've had the wrong goal, how do you feel? Discontentment ultimately means blaming God for what we do not have. God asks you right now that you help us to be content and be content with the plan you have for our lives and forgive us when we are not. Amen. Contentment is not denying the reality of your hurt and your pain. God is not asking you to do that. Contentment is not liking everything that is going on all of the time. Contentment is not accepting things for less than they ought to be. What Paul had discovered is that contentment is something that has to be learned. It is not something that comes naturally or automatic. And Paul had to learn where true contentment is found. And he unpacks it for us a little bit, picking back up in verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. We read that in 2 Corinthians. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Paul reported that there were times in his life and ministry when he had more than enough and that there were other times when he was in need and went hungry. Fortunately for us, Paul did not keep his secret to himself, but regardless of his circumstances, good or bad, he learned that he could do all things through Christ who gave him strength. That was the secret of his contentment. This verse is not some little pep talk when you're feeling feeling down or you need to get that max rep or you need to have a faster mile. But this is for when your circumstances are good and bad, hard and easy. It's a lesson, a secret of contentment. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul had discovered that there was not a single situation he was called to face where Jesus was not with him, where Jesus was not enough. And if Jesus was with him always, then the Lord gave him the strength that he needed. The strength to be content with life during trouble comes from not begging God to increase our own abilities, but by letting Christ live his life through us. Jesus called this abiding in him. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, the devil wants us to believe two lies. He wants us to believe, number one, that things make a person happy. And number two, to believe that all we need to focus on and all we need is found within ourselves. 
But both of those things are false. And Paul had discovered the real source of contentment. Paul has discovered that he was not self-sufficient, but that he could be Christ-sufficient. Paul learned that no matter what might be ahead, Jesus Christ was sufficient to carry him through it. Apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. When Christ abides in us and we in him, then, Philippians 4.13, we can do all things. The powers that be can take everything away from a person, but they cannot take away a person's faith in the unfailing power of God. Trusting in the unfailing power of God brings contentment. Picking up in verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. They didn't forget Paul even many years later. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I want you to notice the language Paul uses in verses 16 and 17. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be accredited to your account. Both Jesus and Paul talked about storing up treasures in heaven by giving on earth. When we give our time to serve the church, to serve others, when we give our tithes, when we give our offerings to help the church do what it is called to do, it is an act of worship, a sweet fragrance to the Lord. The same word here is used in the Old Testament when talking about animal sacrifices. When we give with the right heart, it is a fragrant offering. It's all about the heart. When we give to others and we focus on them, this will help us have a heart of contentment. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. How God will meet our needs is varied, but however God does it, whether through our work or from the gifts of others, it ultimately comes through and from God. Someone has said, God gives every bird its food, but he doesn't throw the food in the nest. The Apostle Paul understood the Lord's provision, and he trusted that God would meet his needs. When the Lord gave him much, Paul was content. And when the Lord gave him little, Paul was content. I'm wondering if any of us share that same attitude. It's not an easy one, but it is the right one. Can we receive the Lord's provision, whatever it is, whatever it looks like? Can we be content with the Lord and his plan for our life? That's the secret to contentment. Trusting that the Lord will give what I need and being satisfied with what he gives. Did you notice that contentment has to do with the relationship with God? A relationship with God where we depend on his presence and his assistance? A truly centered Christian finds a need for acceptance in their acceptance in Christ. They find their need for security in that they are in the Father's hand. A centered Christian can call out Philippians 4.13 in confidence, resting in God's resources. 
So now that we have kind of walked through Philippians 4, 10 through 23, we've gotten a little context, we've broken things down, we've done some explaining, I want to briefly share with you a, f- a few practical suggestions for becoming a more biblically contented person. Number one, give thanks. Giving thanks can be hard, but giving thanks is an act of obedience. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. This, being thankful in all circumstances, this is a mark of a child of God, and a child of God who is growing, one who remembers to give thanks in all things. So for instance, not too long ago, I was shoveling snow off my roof um, and shoveling it off the porch. And I was trying to get it off the roof of the porch. And I just pushed a little too hard and part of the porch caved in. But I didn't fall through. I didn't fall off the roof. Nobody was was hurt. The, The porch is fine. It was just the little, the roof, just the awning, right? So big picture, grand scheme of things. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I didn't have to go to the hospital. I'm thankful that I'm okay. I'm thankful that the roof of the house is secure and strong and there's no leaks in the snow and the rain. It was just the porch roof. Like, we'll get that fixed, right? So that is being able to give God thanks. It wasn't awesome. I wasn't ready for part of my porch roof to come down, but I'm still thankful that no one got hurt and that it didn't affect the structural integrity of the house. Number two, refuse to compare yourself with others. When we compare, we compare ourselves with people who have more, usually, not people who have less. And one of the surest ways to make yourself miserable and discontent is to compare yourself with those who have more or just who you appear has more. It's easy to find someone who has a bigger income bigger house, gets better grades, better promotion, better looking, taller, thinner, whatever. Ah, man, they're such a good mom. Ah, they have such great kids, whatever it might be. James 3.16 says, For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. There you will find discontentment of every time. There you will find discontentment of every kind. Luke 12, 15 says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Don't compare yourself to other. Give thanks. Refuse to compare yourself to others. Number three, learn to rest in God's ability to provide. I heard on Instagram one believer say that the world's inflation has no effect or impact on God's supply. Verse 19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We just read that, Philippians 4, 19. Many Christians like to tell people who are hurting or in need that God will meet all your needs. Yes, that is true, but it's not always helpful or timely. This is not a promise you can just pull out whenever. When someone is hurting, sometimes they just need you to be there. The ministry, the power of presence right? They just need you to listen. They just need you to be there. Remember, being content is not denying the reality of your hurt or pain or the reality of somebody else's hurt or pain. All right, back to the point. Matthew 6, 27. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? 
So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows your needs. Contentment comes from a relationship with God and trusting in the spiritual resources of God rather than focusing on the physical circumstances of life. Number four, learn to focus on the needs of others. Proverbs 31 says, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. The world says to focus on me and myself and you know you better because people are thinking of, people are thinking about you. Watch out. We think I have this struggle and everyone is going to know or, or say something. If I do this, they're going to know it was me. If I do this, they're going to judge or evaluate me. So when we are struggling with something, that's the times where we stay away from church or we don't join in a small group because we don't want people to know. I hate to pop your bubble, but most of the time people are thinking of themselves and the church and jumping in a small group is a place to share our weaknesses, to share our hurts, to share and sink prayer, not to be judged, but to be comforted and encouraged. We need to be thinking of others and their needs. Ultimately, when we are not content with who we are, who others are, or how things are around us, then we are ultimately rejecting God and being critical of what God is doing or has done. Contentment comes from a relationship with God and trusting in the spiritual resources of God rather than focusing on the physical circumstances of life. Regardless of the physical circumstances we face, we have the power of God and the promises of God, and that gives us contentment, peace, and joy. As we focus more on the spiritual and less on the, our desire for the physical, then we will be more content with what we have, and we will have more to share, more to give, which will lead to even more contentment, satisfaction, and joy. So here's my challenge to you in these areas. Where do you need to work on? Do you need to work on the comparison game? Do you need to work on trusting in God's provision? Do you need to work on giving thanks in all things? This week, I want you to put it in practice. I want you to pray, Lord, give me strength to not compare. Give me the strength to trust in your provision. Lord, I believe in you and confidently quote Philippians 4.13. I can do all things as your child. Help me to remember to give thanks in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, there you have it. There is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. That's a message that I got to prepare and I got to preach. And I hope something stood out to you. I hope something challenged you, something encouraged you, something shifted maybe your perspective. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Preston. Have a great day and an awesome week.